All right, what's up to all the cinephiles out there? Welcome to another episode of the Marquee Spotlight, coming to you from the always sunny Portland, Oregon. I am your host, Spencer Bailey, and I'm here with my co-host. Believe it or not, she likes her martinis stirred, not shaken. Chelsea Burnett. Mm, I Now I'm hankering for a good martini. <laughs> mm, love a good dirty martini. But of course, that brings us to a spotlight topic of this episode. It's Bond Mania. We saw the new James Bond movie, No Time to Die, opening weekend. We are so pumped to talk about Bond, the history of Bond. We're going to get into this uh, in just a minute. But first, we got a couple of news stories to talk about. And the first one, it's about our boy, our special boy. It's been a few episodes since we talked about him, but it's he's like in our the mascot. news. That's right. We got to bring him up. David Fincher. I am Jack's complete lack of surprise. So pumped. His relationship with Netflix is continuing to uh, develop into quality content, it sounds like. Everybody was pretty disappointed because uh, Netflix made a David Fincher announcement and everybody assumed it was going to be Mindhunter Season 3, which I really want. I think you really want. Yes, yes. Um, but what he's doing is a new series of short documentaries that he's calling, I guess it's pronounced VAR. VAR, yeah. It's that... like noir, but with a V. VAR, yes. And he is co-executive producer with... The director, um, which I should have written his name down, I'm sorry, but I, I just watched his film, The Empty Man, and um, which gave, it, it harkened back, it gave me some seven David Fincher vibes. I'm, have you seen The Empty Man? I have not. That's a horror movie that came out like last year, right? Yes, yeah. You can watch it on HBO Max, and um, I, I think that the two of them are going to produce something um, or have probably already, it's probably already in the can, produce a very um, a very successful uh, series with this VAR. I think they have similar sensibilities and be cool to see what creepy, beautiful work comes out of this. No, agreed. But I got to say, I'm not really sure what it's going to be. So there's no launch date as of now, but it was described as 10 to 30 minute. So it's probably going to episode by episode will uh, range in different lengths of time, but 10 to 30 minute docu series or documentaries, excuse me, um, that one of the writers, Drew McWeeney, described it as something that intrigues us or upsets us or brings out our connection to movies. I don't know what that means. <laughs> it sounds really ex like it could be very like avant-garde or experimental. Right. Well, it sounds like they're going to, you know, they did describe it's going to go into a lot of the history of film and talk about the more intricate parts of filmmaking. But then they also made it sound creepy. So I don't know <laughs> what that means, but I'm super pumped to see what it is because everything Fincher touches is gold. Yes, I know. I hope it's not all creepy i mean if if they're trying to talk about cinema as a whole and history of cinema there's a lot more to get into other than just the the creepy spooky side of it but it's just seems like they're trying to tap into something that's like a very visceral feeling that um cinema gives people which is what our show is all about i think just talking about the way movies make us feel and i think we're in great hands this project is in great hands with someone like david fincher Absolutely. I mean, you know, I'm excited. So I hope he does complete Mindhunter. 
I know they were going to get into some of the, the they're supposed to be getting into the BTK killer and some of the more prominent storylines from those two gentlemen's actual life. And of course, he also has movies in the works. He's got a movie with Netflix, which I'm assume will be in theaters the same way Mank was, uh, called The Killer, starring Michael Fassbender. Love Michael Fassbender. Uh, we're really excited to hear he's working with Fincher. Did he come, sorry to interrupt you, but did he come out of uh, retire? Because didn't Michael Fassbender make an announcement that he had sort of an, retired from acting and just wanted to focus on racing now? Or uh, maybe he never actually said I'm retired, but. Yeah, I yeah I don't think he announced a retirement. But I think he was just said, I wanna, I'm want i focusing on car racing right now. And also he recently married Alicia Vikander. And I think that they were probably yes, enjoying the beginning yes, of that. So yeah. He's ready to come back. Um, happy to see what he does with Fincher. It sounds like, so here's what I'm curious. The name of the movie is called The Killer. Mm. And in the articles about this project, they said it has to do with um, a hired assassin. So I wonder if it's going to be an American remake of the 1980s film, The Killer, starring Chow Yun-Fat, uh, which is a awesome movie and one of Tarantino's favorites. Oh, I've never heard of that. I will, I'll have to seek that out, but... Yeah, should be think, great. I think I said Japanese, and I think it is Hong Kong. I could be wrong about that, but dope movie. Check out the killer. Hopefully, you know if, if the Fincher one is uh, a, an American rendition of that, I'm sure it'll be great. But like I said, anything Fincher does, I'm gonna see it. Well, yeah, his. I would. I, we got into our thoughts on Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, but we've we've seen him interpret. Uh, or remake a, a work of foreign film, a, a foreign piece of media before, and I think he he honored it well, but brought his own spin to it. So this this killer project with Michael Fassbender should be pretty cool. Either way, Fincher said he'd been open that he's really really enjoying his relationship with Netflix. I think they give him a lot of autonomy and a lot of leeway. But uh, we'll see what what continues to come out of it because he seems to be very happy right now. Yeah. Uh, all right. On to our next news story. And Chelsea, I'm going to let you take this one away as it uh, uh, hits a little closer to home than most of our news stories for you. Yeah. So so I am involved in the, the film industry here. I do payroll. And um, it's I was surprised. I've been hearing from so many of my friends and family that um, – know that I'm affiliated in the industry somehow that they're getting these news blasts for this this strike that was maybe going to happen with IATSE which is the major union that um uh most of the crew that works on um TV and film in North America um IATSE represents them and they were in they were just dealing with some very tense bargaining with the AMTPT it's an association of of producers, essentially, at studio representatives that they hash out these contracts to that set um, labor that that set law rules around um, the way that we pay the union crew, um, their rates, their benefits. And I was just so surprised. I I'm so in my bubble sometimes in this industry and with the job that I do that I didn't think that it was that that anyone would even know what IATSE was that didn't already work in the industry. But I was getting texts from people that were seeing these news blasts all around. So it's kind of exciting that this was on people's radar. And um, I think it's important. It's not very glamorous, I think, to talk about like um, 
it's as like the writer strike was of like a decade or so ago. Like that's people know what the WGA is. They think about writers. They hear that going on strike. And when you hear about the crew, the below the line crew, they're actually really I mean, they're in the thick of it. They're they're every day working the long hours to put in to produce the content that we all love so much. And I think it's great that as these negotiations were happening recently, that so many people were aware and there were so many people that were um, standing in solidarity. A lot of actors, directors, um, writers were coming out saying like, no, we agree that these contracts need to be you know, up with the times and we need to be treating these crews with um, with more respect and just like, I, I don't know, you just need the basic kind of human rights, like giving them the turnaround time that they need, making sure they're not driving home late at night where they're so exhausted from a really long day, ensuring that they're getting the meal breaks when they're supposed to and that the living wage is um, is appropriate good news a strike was avoided um because they were able as of yesterday they were able to uh come to an understanding and uh the amtpt uh you know met in the middle with iatsi and called off the strike which if there had been a strike i think it would have been extremely catastrophic to the film industry um everything would have essentially halted because the whole crew basically the entire crew except for like teamsters because they're under a different contract would have been striking wouldn't have come to work because you know we they had to take a stand so um you know it would have been very interesting to see what would have happened if every production in america had just stopped all of a sudden tomorrow when the strike happened but i'm glad we we are living in a world where we didn't have to deal with something that dramatic and that the right thing happened, and these studios heard out the IATSE president, and the producers listened to him, and hopefully more, and there are more negotiations to come for other contracts like the Area Standards Agreement. So let's just see where this goes. Hopefully, um, as the negotiations continue, everyone is happy in the end. So that's yeah. my long spiel of it. I like the point you made that it's not as... I don't want to say glamorized, but it's it certainly, yeah, not as much attention as you would imagine, like, like the writer strike got. That's, you know, you think of writers more closely with, with filming than you would some of these other people. But and I, I'm sure a lot of people know, they just don't stop and think about it. There's a lot of people that work on these sets, TV mm -hmm. and film sets, and they're doing lots of stuff. And this affected everyone that, built the sets, uh, worked the lights, worked the microphones, did the catering, like the assistants. Exactly. I mean, these are all people that have to be there to make sure things are functioning efficiently. And they deserve good you know, work environment just like anyone else does. Absolutely. It's just going to, I hope, um, just make everything better. Maybe even better work will come out of this in the end. Like better, uh, we'll, we'll see... If the attitudes across the board are better, if people feel respected, I mean, I think only only great art can come from that. So um, and these people are true artist crafts people who I um, I just 
I hope that uh, we actually what was negotiated, what was agreed upon this weekend, I really hope is put into action and we see the dividends from that. So positive dividends. Well said, Chelsea, and we'll keep an eye on this because you never know it might get stirred back up at some point. It's possible. Yeah. Yeah. So glad uh, it's not going to affect your work. And uh, yeah, glad it's not going to delay any of the stuff we want to watch. Yes, yeah, the most important thing we need always need new content. All right, that's going to end it for news. So we'll be right back, and we're going to get into No Time to Die and Bond Mania. Bond, James Bond. That's who we're talking about today. So many years of James Bond films. It's crazy. I, I, I don't, I mean, that, that, there's not another franchise that's been going this long, right? I mean, this is crazy. I, it, yes, it is. Uh, it stands alone in uh, its own kind of class and category. And um, it's, but, you know, Micah made a really interesting point to me earlier today, um, which we'll get into later. But he called James Bond a type of superhero. And I think it's kind of interesting to look at Bond, the superhero type character, on the same level of uh, these Marvel DC movies that are coming out. I mean, they're all on this kind of like Mount Olympus, I think, of uh, these incredible franchises. But there is something very um, there is like a, a retro uh, appeal that I think will always be applied to Bond um, as this franchise continues that uh, that sets it apart. Yeah. Well, I'm, I love that you brought up like the superhero franchises. So for anyone that may not know, prior to the resurgence of the Star Wars movies and the emergence of the MCU, the Marvel movies, James Bond was the highest grossing film franchise of all time. And it held that title for decades. It was like nobody came close. Now, as I said, it is no longer holds that title, uh, but it is still close to the top with, with the Daniel Craig movies that came in and really helped gross a new pile of money for, for that franchise and the Broccoli family. Yes. <laughs> so, Chelsea, I know that you really, you know, Micah, your husband, Huge James Bond fan. It's his his he's the biggest Bond fan I've ever met. And you got a deep emergence into that that world through through him. Through yeah. him and a deeper appreciation for it. But prior to that, like tell me about your first Bond memory. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um I so the my bond, I guess, of my of my youth is is the Pierce Brosnan bond. But uh, I actually um, I used to think the Thomas Crown affair, uh, the Pierce Brosnan Thomas Crown affair was a James Bond movie uh, for the longest time. I remember it was playing in a like a video only. I was my parents were thinking of buying a new TV and it was like the, the movie that they had playing on in the store. And I was like, what is this? And I only knew of Pierce Brosnan as, oh, he's, you know, the 90s 007. So I just assumed anything that was somewhat action-y that he was in was was a Bond movie. But so I guess there goes to show just how uh, 
how major the Bond franchise is that it could turn an actor himself into like any role he's playing in my eyes. I'm like, well, I guess he's Bond, right? I came to really appreciate the Thomas Crown Fair movie later, years later, and I knew that was not part of the Bond franchise, but it's actually probably better than the majority of the Pierce Brosnan 007 movies, if I'm going to say so. Chelsea, you uh, were watching that Thomas Crown Affair as a child, were you? I well, I can't believe when I saw the whole the movie in full, I was like, "There's a huge sex scene in this movie. How are they playing Dude, this in a video like, only?" It is like the Ray or Renee Russo gets naked extravaganza. Yes, she doesn't I, keep her clothes on that whole movie. Maybe they had like the special cut that they play on the on the airplane or something that was playing in the store. I I don't know, but unless I've completely fabricated this memory, I swear it was playing in a, in a shop, uh, in like um in a TV store, but. I don't know. Maybe I had a dream and made it all up. But um, so but but so, yeah, Pierce Brosnan, I think of him when I th- uh, think of Bond, he he um, he was my childhood Bond. I saw my very first Sean Connery. I saw Dr. No. My cousin Thomas was visiting um, from the East Coast. He came out and was staying with us and he brought the movie with him he had the dvd and i remember he put it on for us and i was in high school and that was um i don't think that i fully appreciated it at the time i definitely developed a better appreciation for the character for the movies when i met micah well that's what i was going to say so you know there <laughs> i mean the bond movies are let's they're, they're low brow i mean it's not shakespeare right and you would think that would be more directed towards young people but i remember being a young person thinking james bond was cool but it was hard to get through the movies because Mm -hmm. they do slow down at parts and that's all of them um yes they're actually really formulaic in that way i would every every bond movie i think has those peaks and valleys yeah that you're saying so i've definitely enjoyed them more as a as an adult um even though i I understand that they're kind of kitschy but that's fine they're fun just just have fun watching james bond movies um but yeah, I mean, I remember being a kid and my parents telling me about James Bond and it was Connery. And so I remember they would have James Bond marathons on TV, like AMC or like TBS. And it was just like all weekend. They were just running all the Bond movies in order. And then when they would end, it would start over. Mm-hmm. And they would just do that for several days. So I would just catch it in the middle of a movie. And through that, I saw, you know, chunks of most of them. But I do remember liking the Connery ones as a kid. I remember watching Dr. No and, uh, you know, particularly the climax at the end I enjoyed. But Goldfinger was the first one where I was glued to the TV for the entire movie. And Mm. I still think Goldfinger is one of the most well-made Bond films. There's no – it's all meat on that bone. It's front to back. Outstanding. Were you, as a kid, could you just knock it over like, oh, my God, he's killing women by dipping them in – this gold paint. <laughs> well, I, I, I think as a, you just kind of accept that, that, cause here's the thing. And that's, well, let's, let's start talking about a lot of the, the standard bond things, right? Pretty typically there's two women. One of them's either going to die or one of them's a villain. Mm-hmm. It's, it always happens. So, and if you knew one of them was going to die, it's going to be an in- interesting way. So you've got the gold finger death and then in quantum of solace, they call back, uh, the, the agent that's with bond, they kill her in a similar fashion, but with oil. Mm. But I think that that's an aesthetic. It's a cool part of the the film, you know? I mean, it's something you look forward to. And then in Goldfinger, they introduce stuff like that, right? Because Dr. No, 
it's pretty straightforward. From Russia with Love is pretty good, but it's also pretty straightforward. Robert Shaw is a villain at the end. Um, but Goldfinger was the first one where you have people dying in in interesting ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, Q's really giving him some cool gadgets. Yeah. Uh, you know, I will say, I mean, I guess Dr. No is interesting. He had the metal hands, but Goldfinger's got the obsession with gold. And then Odd Job throws the hat. I mean, you're really starting to get into what we know James Bond to be a Goldfinger. And uh, I think... Uh, we have to mention Austin Powers um, as a 90s kid. I it's mean, almost hard to watch those I, Connery I, movies now because it's everything's ripped. The music, all of it is just Austin Powers just did it. I mean, it's. And Mike Myers, I think, should get a lot of credit for the homage that he like he did very skillful homages to those films and like and did great satire but like when it comes down to the set pieces and um the costuming hair makeup uh the the accent work i think it it was all very larger than life and silly and definitely poking fun but you could tell it was coming from like a place of like real appreciation absolutely so um yeah and and i will say and i want to get on a tangent about the austin powers movies but when was the last time you rewatched them um uh, like a year ago yeah Yeah. same here i rewatched them i think 2019 the first two i was shocked at how well they hold up Mm -hmm. like they're still funny and they're still like fun to watch oh very much so yes 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 so i i think i think if you took a poll connery's still everyone's favorite bond um he's so charming and the line delivery was excellent you know connery was an athlete so you believed him in the fights and stuff i'd say the one downfall with the connery films is uh a little rapey a little (laughs) little too much of its time it's, yeah, <laughs> yeah of its time in term regards to sexual assault but uh it's some of it's hard to hard to look at but you just got to remember when it came out and it's mm-hmm. they're all actors and yeah it's not great but uh <laughs> i was watching uh a thunderball the other day and there's there's the first the first woman he's with i was just like geez man this is this is hard to watch yeah <laughs> It's uh yeah it th- those I think a lot of people probably like to skip over that element when they talk about the the glory days of the Sean Connery Bond but um it I I mean he he brought that character um out of the pages of of the the story that um I'm forgetting his name now uh Ian Fleming thank you so much Ian Fleming it's not as if it plays at the beginning of every credit sequence no i love Um, love it the posters are like roger moore is james bond in ian Ian fleming's Fleming's 007 series broccoli's octopussy presented by it's like oh my god just tell me what the movie's called (laughs) but but yes he i think um uh mike has read a couple of the ian fleming novels but uh i've never read them myself i think i've just like read over micah's shoulder a little bit but i think that sean connery deserves a, a, the swagger what he brought to that role is i think what uh the majority of uh bond fans you know base their love of the character on absolutely and- i mean he's very suave and everything and um to your point about the novels my dad read the first few mo- novels as a kid and Dr. No came out and he went and saw it and liked it, but he had read Casino Royale. And then when the Peter Sellers one came out, he was so excited. And of course it's, uh, it's, it was like making fun of it. Mm-hmm. And he was pretty bummed about that. And these days he 
doesn't care about. He thinks he James Bond it. movies are stupid. So, <laughs> um, so yeah. So Connery, and also by the way, kind of the first person to do a series of movies. I mean, you had Clint Eastwood mm. doing the westerns as the man with no that. name, but Connery like busts off like four movies and then says, "I'm not doing it anymore." And enters George Lazenby, who was just a model, who showed up at the auditions for to be the new James Bond in a tuxedo, and they hired him right there. And after he does On Her Majesty's Secret Service, and after that was successful, Sean Connery said, I'll come back. Does Diamonds Are Forever, which people are not very fond of. And then he said, okay, now I'm really out. Enter Roger Moore, who has done the most Bond films. Daniel Craig had the most time span as Bond, but Roger Moore did the most movies. Mm. Um, Yes, yes. Roger Moore probably... I'm sorry to say my least favorite Bond. I think the... I, I haven't seen them all. A couple of them are good. I think The Spy Who Loved Me is really good. It's got the opening uh, really impressive for its time. The Ski Chase. Mm-hmm. Uh, and first appearance of the villain Jaws, who comes back in Moonraker. Yes. Uh, I remember, I think Octopussy's not bad. But I think for the most part, Roger Moore's movies were pretty silly. They yes they they were going for a little more kitschy yeah uh, a silly appeal um, but Roger Moore seemed to um, he he seemed to be in on it like he he seemed to be having fun with it and knew it was oh, silly which makes them watchable I think that's what makes them rewatchable um, and it makes him a very I, I find him to be um, a really like endearing Bond, if that makes sense. So uh, like, I, I don't know. I, he's like kind of like lovable and maybe his age has something to do with that too because he's closer to like grandpa's age than well, he is that's why he some stopped, of the films. That's but, why yeah. he stopped doing the Bond films because in A View to a Kill, um, the Bond girl, um, Tanya Roberts, he realized she was younger than his daughter and he was like, oh God, I can't do this anymore. Uh-huh. Um but, you know, when those marathons would come on TV, there was always a Roger Moore on because there were so many. And I would catch those the most. So I'd watch him, but I just, I didn't think he was as suave as Connery. I didn't think he was as badass as Connery. And that really took it out of me. He had his moments, though. The, the, the final gunfight with the man in the golden gun is a good scene. Some of the Moonraker is absolutely ridiculous. But there's some cool scenes in it. Um, but... I appreciate what Roger Moore is going for. I do agree. I think he was in on what they were trying to do. I think he had a great time. I just, what I think of Bond to be, he is the least like that. Mm-hmm. I, um, I, he, I will give him this. He has a, a, a lovely speaking voice. I, I, I remember first hearing him and uh, he has a part in, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the Spice World movie, the Spice Girls movie, Spice World. That, uh, uh, no, Chelsea, I missed that one. Oh, you don't know what you're missing. <laughs> it actually is full of great pop culture references. It's it's an incredible, incredible piece of uh, 90s cinema. But uh, Roger Moore uh, is playing a character that he's almost on like the level of kind of like a Bond-like villain in the movie. Um, or also kind of like a Charlie's Angels, like a Charlie of a Charlie's Angel. It's sort of like he's this figurehead, somewhat mysterious that he has a cat at one point, very like Blofeld of, of him. But uh, 
I, I going off on a tangent, but I remember that was my introduction to Roger Moore, and I I also remember thinking that his voice sounded great <laughs> in that movie. So he that's does, that. He does have a great voice, absolutely. Um, and he has sadly passed away. Uh, also, Sean Connery passed away, but mm-hmm. he was Connery was what ninety, and he passed away in paradise somewhere yes. on a tropical island. Yeah. So Connery, Oscar win, you know, for the Untouchables. A lot of cool other movies he was in. I like to imagine um, that his character in The Rock was actually James Bond uh, under a pseudonym. Yeah, both of them will be, always be remembered as Bond. Hats off to them. And I hope I hope Daniel Craig can have a career that was like Sean Connery's. I hope he can. I mean, he's definitely done plenty of of movies outside of the uh, the 007 franchise, but I. I, I don't think he's had as iconic of roles outside of James Bond in the way that I think Sean Connery did throughout his whole career. And so I, I hope Daniel Craig, who I think is a very, very skilled actor, I, I hope that he can uh, can blaze his own path now that he has officially retired from from the franchise. Well, yeah, and we'll get to Craig in a minute, but mm-hmm. clearly he's got some good stuff coming up. Um, once Roger Moore retired, enter Timothy Dalton. Uh, he only made two films, and they're not well regarded, and I think that it is really unfair. Dalton, uh, tr- classically trained Shakespearean actor, he's actually a really good actor. Uh, first thing I ever saw him in, he played the villain in The Rocketeer. I thought he was really good in that. I just think his two Bond films were way ahead of their time. And they more closely resembled what the Daniel Craig films are. Hmm. But I don't think people were ready for that. And if there are any issues with the Dalton films, they're not his fault. I think his, I mean, he's a good actor. I think all of his line delivery and everything was great. I think the scenes where he has to be badass and getting shootouts and fistfights was just as good as anyone else. Because that's the thing about Bond. He was never the kind of guy that... You know, he didn't get into a fight with somebody, a hand-to-hand fight, and just absolutely manhandle him. Like, you know, he he takes his lumps, and Timothy Dalton was really good at that, uh, particularly in uh, License to Kill. But he, so he comes out, he does The Living Daylights, which is not bad. I think it's the lesser of his two films. He's got some really great scenes in it. He dresses great. Really great climactic scene. I remember they're in the desert and there's they're jumping from cars to planes and mm. a lot of a grip your seat moments. But License to Kill is actually solid. Uh, I think it's a it's a good movie. Robert Davi plays the villain. A very young Benicio del Toro yes. is the the henchman. Uh, there's a couple moments where Bond seems like he's not going to make it out. Um, it, it's very ahead of the like. You could have seen it being a Daniel Craig Bond film. I, I, it's been several years. I, I wish I had revisited Timothy Dalton um, films before we recorded. But um, from what I remember about them, at least one of them was that the action sequences. I felt like okay, we're moving it. We're now into the eighties, moving into those nine the nineties action. Like it felt very um, like it had really this this um, franchise had really progressed in those films. No, agreed, and that's that's really what it was about. Because when you go back and look at the action films of the eighties, and of course we've we've talked about this on our action episode, but things got really gritty and violent. Um, 
you know, Lethal Weapon was, you know, the biggest film in the in the uh, in the in the country. I'm glad you mentioned Lethal Weapon because I wanted to say that, but I because I hadn't seen uh, I hadn't seen one of the Timothy Dalton movies in so long. I was like, maybe I'm talking out of my butt here, but I felt like. There were Lethal Weapon vibes to oh, some of, absolutely. His, of the Timothy Dalton movies. Yeah, yeah, I mean, this was the age of of Stallone and Schwarzenegger trying to out badass each other in the Lethal Weapon films. You know, in the eighties, it was still crime is super high, and we need these cops playing against the rules to take out crime. And so they wanted to do that with James Bond. Yeah, and that's kind of what we got with Daniel Craig. Daniel Craig was totally like against the rules and gritty and badass and they try to do it with Timothy Dalton people weren't ready for it that's the kind of action movies they wanted but clearly didn't want to see Bond doing it um but and and funny enough they wanted Pierce Brosnan prior to Timothy Dalton Pierce Brosnan was on Remington Steel mm. and he had a clause in his contract he couldn't wear a tuxedo on anything else <laughs> well over your Bond you got to wear pesky a tux contracts yeah so enter Timothy Dalton uh, a third Timothy Dalton film was supposed to be forthcoming a lot of time was taken. Contract ran out. Pierce Brosnan finished Remington Steel. They were able to finally make the connection, and we got Goldeneye, which I I I know holds a very special place in many Bond fans' hearts. I think also if they were fans of the video game, which I've never played, but um, I hear the game was groundbreaking, and uh, so I think people hold the two and and and. High regard, uh, the film and the game. So, uh, and and that they they uh, they they set a new standard, not only in in gaming, but in the way we were going to look at action movies and James Bond as action movies. No, for sure. And so the game, yeah, I was the perfect age for the game. Everybody had a copy. You could go to anybody's house in the neighborhood. They had a copy of Goldeneye. The story mode mostly follows the movie which is funny because I like beat the story before I ever saw the game. So when you finally watch the movie, you're like, oh, okay. You're like piecing <laughs> it all together. But the big thing was it had a, one of the early multiplayer versus modes and you could be characters from all the movies. You could be Josh. You could be Odd Job. You could be, you know, ton, tons of different people from, from the movies. And yeah, we didn't have anything like it at the time. Funny enough, they threw the multiplayer on just last minute. And it ended up being what sold so many copies, but it doesn't really hold up. Like I have a copy of it now and I've tried to go back to it and just play the story mode and the controls are really wonky and, um, it's, it's not, it's not what it was. We've gotten better, better controls through the years, but I would hope so. (laughs) I I think you're right though. It's, it's a big reason for the success of the Brazen franchise. Like, I wanted to watch a movie because I played the game so much. And to to what we were talking about earlier, the first time I watched the movie, it was hard to watch as a kid because I was playing this video game and parts of Bond movies kind of drag. And I just wanted to see the cool stuff. So you got a little bored. But going back as an adult, it's easily one of my favorite James Bond films. Top five. Uh, Sean Bean's a great villain. I was going to mention that there... um I would say that the tension between Sean Bean and Pierce Brosnan reminds me a lot of the tension between Javier Bardem and Daniel Craig um, yes, in Skyfall. Similar story. Uh, I love the the opening scene where they're partners and everything goes haywire. You know, Famke Jansen 
playing <laughs> crazy female villain was just it's just so funny to go back and watch her doing that oh it's so good because i'm so used to her as the gene uh gene gray right yeah, the next men yeah. character and it's fun to see her doing something so outlandish and uh uh comedic in oh. ways yeah and you know they were going for the true bond villain over the top ridiculous alan cummings playing the little click click click, yeah, click in the pen i love that part like that's the thing like Pierce Brosnan movies come right in with the gadgets. Mm-hmm. You know, we get the the watch laser, you get the the pen bomb. Um, love it, and like he's driving a tank with a tux on. <laughs> I mean, it was, and he just, I, I, Pierce is not my favorite Bond, but when I think about what Bond is supposed to look like, I I think of Pierce Brosnan. Like if I if I was reading a James Bond book, the way he's described, it's Pierce Brosnan. Yes, I think that's a very, very astute point. He also might have the best, you know, the the barrel shot, the turn and shoot mm. barrel shot. He might have the best one. I'd have to go back and I'm sure it's on YouTube where you could see them all back to back to back. But yeah, yeah. no, uh, love Goldeneye. I think his movies lowered in quality as they went along. Like Tomorrow Never Dies is pretty good. Jonathan Price plays one of the best Bond villains. Mm. Um and then the world is not enough. It's perfectly entertaining. Even Denise Richards that... plays a rocket scientist, <laughs> which is ridiculous. But I, I, um, I even was going to defend parts of Die Another Day, uh, the the Halle Berry one. I mean, it did give us a very iconic orange bathing suit, as, as which was a callback, I know, to uh, to another Bond girl from uh, an earlier film. But I think it's Honey uh, Rider and Doctor No. Mm. But uh, I think that actually Die Another Day, it goes off the rails at the at the end. But there are parts when they are in it may be Cuba or wherever you see that scene with Halle Berry in the bathing suit. I think that that was a really, really solid piece um, of the film. But uh, I'm not really sure what happened with the rest of it. So, um. yeah, I'm going to be honest. I've never seen Die Another Day because the only thing I've ever heard is that it is an absolute abomination. The Madonna song is an earworm too. I will give it that. Like it was, uh, it, it, I think had a, it was a bit of a radio hit. So uh, the die another day. Well, I'm, I'm glad. Well, okay. So now you're bringing up the song. Let's talk about that. That's okay. another big piece of the Bond films mm-hmm. is who's going to do the opening theme. And, you know, with Dr. No, it was just, it was just, you know, a Bond theme, right? Starting with For Marshall With Love, they started bringing people in. And then Goldfinger, of course, they brought in Shirley Bassey, who did probably the best Bond song of all time with Goldfinger. Um, she went on to do a, a few more Bond Bond songs down down the line. Uh, but after Goldfinger, Tom Jones at Thunderball. Now mm. we're just off to the races, right? To where it became something where they would reach out to multiple musicians and bands, say, hey, we want you to submit a song for the next Bond film and we're going to pick the winner. Um, and they started bringing in more popular people, Paul McCartney. I like Paul McCartney's yeah. song a lot. Um, Carly Simon, Nobody Does It Better, great song. And in the 80s, I stayed contemporary. They brought in AHA and Duran Duran. Who did uh, Golden Knight? Oh, it was Tina Turner. Mm. So yes. who had a resurgence in the 90s. Mm-hmm. So it made sense at the time. Um and then sometimes they shared. I can't remember which one does the Cheryl Crow theme, but everybody also really liked the Katie Lang submission, so they put her song in the closing credits 
So you got both songs in the film. But then, of course, the Craig themes, probably the best, the best group of songs that we've had, starting with, and we can get into Craig now. So yeah. Brosnan takes off. We get Craig, but the opening theme, uh, that Chris Cornell song, which I think is an incredibly underrated bomb theme. I love that Chris Cornell song. Me too. I, Micah and I were listening to the the Casino Royale theme song, the Chris Cornell one, and the Quantum of Solace uh, with Jack White and Alicia Keys. Uh, it's a great song. Yeah, that's I, probably my least favorite of the five, but it's, it's solid. It has that... I've never... Lo- that hook has stayed with me ever since. Sure. I, it's probably the most memorable thing of Quantum of Solace. Um, so uh, I I love Chris Cornell's voice for that theme song for Casino Royale. And it brings this. I mean, he has this. He had. It's so, so sad that we've lost him. But he had this just beautiful, like, theatrical um, level of, like, singing voice that I think uh, really set the stage for, like, you know, we're in a new generation of Bond here. We're bringing this like icon, this kind of like grunge icon, but that has this incredible voice. This is going to be something new, different. And uh, I thought it was a, a a match made in heaven for uh, his hit. The song they picked for Casino Royale, I think, uh, set a great tone uh, for what we were supposed to take from from that movie. I agreed, and it's it's one of my favorite because they always try to incorporate the theme subtly back into the music and uh i love how they kept bringing in the lick from that song mm-hmm. back in and then of course uh adele skyfall top three bond song won an oscar amazing song yes sam smith wins oscar right after that for uh specter specter um you know one of my favorite bands is radiohead and once they picked the sam smith song radiohead said hey everybody we also wrote a song for Spectre. They didn't pick it, so here it is. It's great. It's, it's an awesome Radiohead song. And now No Time to Die. Billie Eilish is the hottest thing in the world. Uh, they asked her to do the theme, and I thought it was pretty good. Yes, yeah. I think what was lacking in the Sam Smith and in the Billie Eilish versions, for me, it there was this type of... It was lacking this real crescendo i guess or like climax in a song that i feel um adele just hit that perfect sweet spot with skyfall and i felt that the the sam smith and billy eilish versions were very moody and they have a romantic edge to them but like there was like um possibly and especially with billy eilish there was a real pain there's real pain to her voice which i think matched as we'll get into what no time to die a big theme of No Time to Die is about, but it was just lacking a bit of drama that I would have liked out of a Bond theme. For sure. Yeah, no, I I think it's probably fourth on my list for the theme. Well, yeah, it's probably fourth after Sam Smith, I think. So we'll finish talking about our thoughts on the Craig era before getting into No Time to Die. And don't worry, we're not going to have any major spoilers. There's some big things that happen in this film um, and it's still relatively new to theaters. We're going to give you time to watch it. But we are going to talk about our thoughts on the film. We were both excited. We got to see it opening weekend. Mm-hmm. Being back into a theater, I mean, it was just it was so much fun. I'm so glad to be back in a theater. But Daniel Craig, wow. I, I, I have to say, he, he's probably my favorite Bond. And I think when he got cast, I was suspicious and 
You know, he's blonde, which shouldn't matter, <laughs> but like Bond's not blonde. And he'd only done a couple things. I mean, they were like the guy who had a bit part in Tomb Raider and Road to Perdition. And like, I know he'd done a lot of TV in, in, in England, mm-hmm. but I, I know that. Okay. So he had the cult following from Layer Cake, which I have not seen in a long oh. time. I need to see Layer Cake again. It's been a, it's been a while. Uh, I barely even remember what happens in it. Tom Hardy's in that too. He's very young, but uh, it's on Netflix right now. Uh, but that was the biggest thing he'd done. He got a, a a big cult following for that. But then Casino Royale comes out, and I remember the trailer came out, and everybody was like, "Whoa, mm-hmm. this looks unbelievable!" And it is full on. Don't even have to think about it. It's my favorite Bond film. Yeah, I'm. I it's. I think I'm with you there. There, there are re- a lot of layers to Casino Royale. It takes um, it takes you to some real uh, on some real journeys. And no wasted time in that movie. No, no, and um, and I think it deserves a lot of credit to have be- been this tentpole film for the new franchise kickoff with with Daniel Craig. A movie like that had to be this strong to make four more movies after it that, I mean, they're still making references to Casino Royale in the last film and it still feels fresh and it feels like there's a real purpose to it and it really built an incredible world. And um, I I really wish I could, I had written down more of the writers' names, but I think the writers deserve a lot of credit alongside Daniel Craig in what they've brought to uh the james bond character and in giving us a little bit more um meat to uh what this man is about yeah definitely broke him down more on a human level showed him flawed which nobody ever really showed bond flawed as a flawed human being i mean james bond was a real person be a fucked up person Mm -hmm. like seriously like all the drinking and the the women and all the deaths he's responsible for not just people he killed people he gets killed yeah but uh, casino royale i mean starting with the opening scene all black and white it's the only time on film we've seen bond before he's 007 and we get to see what he does to get to that status and then it's just jumps right in and you feel parkour yeah (laughs) and yeah yeah well that's right right after the credits casino royale we get a parkour scene but it's one of the best scenes in in this in the franchise oh it's incredibly rewatchable yeah <laughs> oh absolutely and so glad that judy dench who became m were pierce brosnan mm-hmm. stuck around for the daniel craig series i mean and and daniel craig i he i plays off well with so many people i mean his chemistry with eva green and as the vesper lynn character they have the most believable romance i can think of off the top of my head that bond has had with any with any female partner. And I, I mean, I think they were trying to give him that with Leia Sado. I really love her. And I, 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 her character of Madeline Swan in the last two films, um, I, I think is a great strong character, but I never really like, I I just rewatched Spectre and I don't know. I think they rushed their romance a bit, but something about, uh, Eva Green and Daniel Craig, it was like, yeah, very, very, uh, uh, magical. Well, yeah. I mean, I think about the scene where he fights the two guys in the stairwell and she kind of has to help him kill them. And then she's shook up and mm. he finds her 
in the shower saying, mm-hmm. I can't get clean. I mean, that's the thing. On the old movies, he kills somebody, and the woman's like, great job, James, and they high-five and skip mm-hmm. off together. And it's like, no, this is grounded in reality. Yeah. You're never around death, and you just watch this man kill two people, and you kind of helped him. Yeah. And that's not going to, you're not just going to bounce back from that. That's why these movies are so good. And they were able, um, hats off to the director as well, because he was able to very seamlessly blend that scene from being very shocking, traumatic. Eva Green's there in the shower crying, shaking. And then it led into a very sensual kind of sexy moment um, where I think there's some finger licking involved. And it's it all but it, it all transitions very believably and smoothly. And it's a very sexy moment yeah. um, that kind of comes out of nowhere. By the way, the director, Martin Campbell, also directed Goldeneye. Yes. Thank you for looking up his name. Thank yeah. you, Martin. Absolutely. So, you know, you're talking about the series as a whole. And I think of Daniel Craig's, I think we said this when I said this to you when we left the theater, Daniel Craig's series of films, very reminiscent of the Dark Knight trilogy. It's that somebody came in, different directors, Mm -hmm. and they said, we're going to put this James Bond in a a vacuum and he's going to have his own story arc. And it's not going to have anything to do with the other films which I think with all the other Bonds, you're just supposed to go, ah, this is all... It drops you in. Mixed together. They're all just different actors on the same timeline. And that was not the case. You start this series with a young James Bond becoming 007, and it just follows that arc. It keeps bringing back the same names, keeps bringing back the same characters and actors, and, you know, ties it off with a bow in No Time to Die. And... It's it's great because they're going to have to completely... Daniel Craig's done. He's not doing it anymore. They're going to have to start completely over and I'm excited to see what they do, but we'll get into that in a minute. Could we take this moment to sort of shout out a few more actors, characters from the uh, Daniel Craig franchise that I'd really like to highlight who, like, just kicking it off. I, Absolutely I love... not, Chelsea. <laughs> I don't know what you think this is to ask a question like that. Well... Kicking it off, I'd love to talk about uh, the Felix character who... uh, Jeffrey Wright, I love you so much. Keep acting, never stop. Yes, who was so happy to see him come back in No Time to Die. Um, I I think he and um, the Felix and Bond friendship is... uh, is really special and um i i think uh also felix is kind of this great like american character in this very british franchise uh so that's that's always fun uh to see i think that. casino royale was the first thing i ever saw him in mm. but he's just he's outstanding in everything he does yes about to be in the new batman film as commissioner gordon <laughs> jeffrey wright right on um i also would love to say that uh I, I think Naomi Harris is just an awesome She's Penny. always great. And um, I think uh, she ha- plays that role of having this crush on him, but also keeping her agency about her and having... She has a lot of fun with her back and forth with, with Bond. And I think they have some real great... like their friendship feels very real to me and, and the affection she has for him. Right. Um, and she's also can be quite, she, she can also get very frustrated with him. I mean, tends to bring that out in people, but and that's uh, always kind yeah. of been bond and money Penny's relationship in all the films, but you're right. This is the most fleshed out uh-huh. it has ever felt like Naomi Harris is amazing. 
you know, Oscar nominated actress. Um, I love the reveal in Skyfall where she says she's money penny at the <laughs> end of the movie. It's just they did everything such a great way with this series. And Q, the, Ben Wishaw is Q. I, I, I don't know. It took me. I, I will say I, I did not really warm up to him until No Time to Die. But when it happened in No Time to Die, I was like, this is great. I'm so happy they they decided to uh, give him a little more depth, I think, to his character as well. And you were able to kind of see more of like the Ben Wishaw charm and the voice of Paddington. He's he's a little cutie. Um, so uh, I was happy to see what they did with him in the the latest film. And the last person I wanted to shout out is after um, we lost Judy Dench in Skyfall as the M as M, they brought in Ray Fiennes as the new M as Mallory. And I really love what he's doing with love that character. I hope that he that just like what they did with Judy Dench. I, I hope too. he moves I hope to he the sticks next. Around. Yeah, because I think he's bringing a real kind of like like he he's he's a very like you can he's weary like he's worn down beaten down he's he's not a perfect uh boss uh in in the sense that i felt like judy dench always you know had that very like uh stiff upper lip uh couldn't really knock her down i feel like um ray fines is is bringing like kind of a more like humanity to to that that character that role yeah i love ray fines uh, it's one of those people that it's like how does he not have an oscar i think he's only been nominated twice like what the hell yeah yeah um, but you know plays a great villain but i love it when he steps into a role like m uh, I hope he sticks around. I'm, I I totally agree. I, I don't see why, of everyone, I don't see why he couldn't stick around uh, for the next Bond and just do it like they did with Judy Dench, pretend like the other series didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So with Craig, you know, Quantum of Souls comes out. It was during the writer's strike. It's easily the weakest of the Craig films. It's definitely watchable. There's some cool scenes, but I feel like the climax isn't really a climax. It kind of just ends... Daniel Craig even admitted he helped with some of the writing. and was embarrassed by that because of the strike. So, um, but it was the first time they had continuity from where the last filmed in to where the next one picked up. Mm. And it keeps that continuity throughout the series. It's not bad. But then comes along Skyfall, which, look, Casino Royale is my favorite Bond film. But if I have to be a truly objective, Skyfall is probably the best Bond film. It, I mean, with with the Roger Deakins cinematography, it oh kind of takes it. To- and it didn't win. It didn't win at the Oscar for cinematography. And every time I watched, I just watched it again a couple weeks ago, and I was just like, "How? How did this not win? <laughs> this is one of the most beautiful." Micah helped me buy my new 4K TV, <laughs> and the first thing we put in to test it out was Skyfall. And I jumped right to the scene where he's on with the paper lanterns, and he comes up on the boat, and the colors just popped. Oh my God! Like, all right, made the right decision here with this TV. Uh, it passed the Skyfall test. Um, yeah, I do want to say though, I because I I'm I have Micah in the back of my head saying like everyone talks about the great cinematography in Skyfall and it is great, but there is something to be said for there is um there's a grittiness like a graininess to Casino Royale. Um, it's kind of uh, uh, it's a it's muddier, but I think there's a a, a reason for it and it, it plays well into uh, the overall like story of Casino Royale as well. So I just wanted to say that agreed. And you know Skyfall. I said there's always two women. Well, the second woman is M. Mm, yes. And I said one of them either is a villain or dies, and M dies. Mm-hmm. And 
wow. I mean, I remember the first time I saw it, I was like, I can't believe they did that. Oh, it breaks your heart. Javier Bardem, my God, top five Bond villain. He's so over the top in the best possible way. All of his line delivery, all of his mannerisms. He's so fantastic. And, you know, we talked about the quirky nature of Bond villains and how they have kind of these gimmicks and stuff. And I like how they did that with these Bond villains, but grounded in reality, kind of like the Dark Knight did with the Joker, right? You know, Mads Mikkelsen playing Lashif, his tear ducts bleed. That's, I could see that being a thing, you know, <laughs> yeah. and, and that's a Bond villain thing. And then with um, Javier Bardem, he's got the face implant from the cyanide pill not working. And when he takes it out, he's got this grotesque look about him, just like a Bond villain. A sky, I mean, what can we say about Skyfall? And then the grade of actors they brought in. They brought in Ray Fiennes. They brought in um, Albert Finney. Mm. They brought in Javier Bardem, who's an Oscar winner. Albert Finney's an Oscar winner. On top of already having Judy Dench. And do you have Sam Mendes, an Oscar winning director? Yeah. I mean, Skyfall, if you're going to watch one Bond film your entire life, like if I had to, to if I had to go to a formal debate and make the argument that a Bond film is art, it would be Skyfall. <laughs> it's just front to back, excellent movie, gets him grounded in the Bond universe. Q shows up for the first time, starts giving him gadgets because he doesn't really have a lot mm. of gadgets in the first couple films. There's some stuff in his car. You really start Money Penny announces who she is. You really get in that Bond universe in Skyfall. Yeah, and I think it carries. Um... I, I recently rewatched Spectre and um, I, I, I think the, 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 it, it was good that they brought Sam Mendes back to do another film, I think, to bookend what he did with Skyfall and see through some of those, those pieces that they, they set up and like, uh, and seeing uh, what, uh, what was, what, where James Bond was after losing someone like, uh, like M, the Judy Dench M. So um, I, I, it just was, I don't know. It, it's also, I think it didn't really stand a chance. It, it couldn't really measure up because Skyfall was such a phenomenon. I think Spectre just, it, 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 it just doesn't measure up in all the same ways. I don't no, know. It yeah. doesn't. And I think they brought Sam Mendes back thinking he was going to make another Bond masterpiece. And, I don't dislike Spectre as much as other people. There are people that really think Spectre is a bad movie. I think it's perfectly entertaining. It's not perfect. It's got problems. It's a fucking James Bond movie. Just go have a good time and enjoy it. I did think, you know, Christoph Waltz is such an excellent actor. I, I thought he would do a better job. He's not bad. I just thought he would do a better job. I think he's better in No Time to Die, to be honest with you. But um, everybody knew he was going to end up being Blofeld. It, you know, the scene where he's drilling into into his skull i mean that that is like the most uncomfortable scene in all of the daniel yeah. craig movies and he has some uh, christoph waltz does ha have some uh funny one-liners like his delivery uh he he's uh he's having fun as a villain you can tell again i mean i guess hearkening back to his uh inglorious bastards villainy but um i uh with what do i want to say about specter uh that i want to point out oh Micah was telling me that he, in his opinion, he thinks Daniel Craig is the worst. Uh, that's his worst acting <laughs> work in the franchise's Inspector, and I think that is the movie. If I'm quoting this right, that that Daniel Craig said, "I'd rather like 
put a bullet in my head or whatever than than play this character again. Um, and so maybe he was at that moment just really burnt out. Burnt out and it reads on screen at times. I'm not as like I think in in as deep as Micah is that I could pick up on that. But like I I, I, I take what Micah says seriously that he feels that it, it just I don't know. Some I guess he felt like Daniel Craig kind of dropped the ball. And he's the Bond Spectre. expert. Yeah. And quick shout out, Dave Batista. I've found him entertaining as the the silent, yeah. the silent villain who says one word in the entire movie. Shit. Yeah. It's the only thing he says. Mm-hmm. Uh, Spectre's fine. It's not great, but we did think it was going to be the last Craig movie because he said he wasn't doing it anymore. Mm-hmm. And then they talked him into coming back for one more. Um, Chelsea, so let's just. Let's just talk about No Time to Die. Mm-hmm. I think both of us liked it, right? I think we yeah. both probably put it as the third best Craig movie, but it was a nice... I mean, I just liked that it wrapped everything up. Mm-hmm. Yes. I think um, it's going to... there Without spoiling anything, I think there the way the film ends, I see why they did it that way, but... I don't know. It's um, my thinking watching this movie. It was very, very entertaining. And I, I think there is a, a lot to love about it. And um, and we'll dive into specifics. But on the whole, I don't know if I'm very curious because this movie was delayed a year, a year plus because of the pandemic. If there were some new cuts that were made or some other decisions oh, that absolutely. made, some uh, there were some things that I felt like the filmmaker, the writers, they thought like the audience will be like, they'll understand why we did this, right? Like we totally understand. We're but I think they were so like steeped at that point in like the lore and the story behind what was bringing everything to this this climax and 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 to tie everything up with a bow that it almost felt too convenient in the end or something or or some things felt unfinished but like the 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 writer like but the filmmaker felt like well I'm I'm done like I tied this up and it's it's you know I'm presenting it to you, but uh, it just, it felt like it was lacking something. I mean, I think they definitely made some changes. Case in point, uh, Rami Malek, the villain, is using a nanotech bioweapon to infect people. I am pretty sure that prior to COVID, that was not nanorobots. It was an actual virus. Virus. And they they weren't saying infected. They were saying, were you poisoned? Mm. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but... Uh, but you said the filmmaker. So, you know, Kerry Joji Fukunawa, uh, he hadn't directed much before this, done a lot of writing. I think he did a great job. And yeah. And first American uh, director of a Bond movie, too. Now, that so I, I didn't wanted, know. Yes. That's a, yeah. That's a great uh, tidbit there. I, I was actually thinking about the other day who, if any Americans, had directed a Bond film. Uh, but one thing right off the bat. So, Fukunawa was known for, he wrote uh, the It movies. And the opening of the movie is like a horror movie. Oh, I was yes. so uneasy and like sitting in my seat, completely creeped out. So well done. It was the only time I watched a Bond movie and it was, 
I was scared. <laughs> oh yeah, no, I think great point. I um I w- I wanted to say that there are moments in the film that feel like you're watching um like a serial killer movie. Um that the opening being one of them. There's another scene um in a very like misty kind of foggy forest um that that really reminded me of True Detective which um Carrie uh Joji Fukunawa directed and um so he I had a, think he had a heavy hand in that first season mm-hmm. absolutely um yeah I guess I should say season one of True Detective um which was groundbreaking television um and I I so I love the he brought legitimate creepy scary uh scary feels to this movie absolutely the rest of the opening of the movie, by the way, like super long, cold opening prior to the prior to the credits kicking mm-hmm. in. Very long action scene with with James Bond and Madeline in Italy. Incredible! Mm-hmm. It was so much fun. Yeah. That opening scene was a blast. Oh, great! There's some such great uh, stunt work with the vehicle stunt work. Oh, finally and, saw uh, some car yeah. gadgets, man. Yeah, oh. yeah. It really takes your breath away. I would love to. I would want to go back to the theater to see the, that opening again. I would love to see all the scenes with Anna de Armas again, or the scene with Anna de Armas and um, the other car chase scene uh, later in the film in uh, Norway that leads into that spooky kind of forest. Um, yeah. Those are some real standouts for me. Um, the other thing I'll say about this, it reminded me a lot of Avengers Endgame in that so much fanfare in this film. They were throwing so much, like, both in the, the Craig series and to the old fans. So the opening credits open up with the dot pattern from Dr. No inside of MI6 building. They had paintings of all the old M's. Judy Dench, the guy who was M for Roger Moore, whose mm-hmm. name escapes me at the moment. A lot of fanfare. It was yeah. really well done. If you've seen the old films, um, and Actually, there's a couple of callbacks I'll get to later, but really well done with that. But but yes, the Norway scene, another incredible scene. Here's the thing. This movie was almost three hours long, and it never felt like it was long. Yeah, the only times that um, and I don't want to bag on Rami Malek. I feel like that guy. Gets oh, you want to get into this now? But, uh, we we can totally get into this now. I want to talk about Rami Malek. I I felt that. Um, those were the parts that if I had to say anything dragged it was just when he was on screen I don't know he just seemed like he was kind of sleepwalking through uh, through that and and another another point that I, I think uh, I can't remember who made it after we saw the movie it was you Micah but someone was saying like a big part of going to see a Bond movie is you want to see the rapport between the main villain, the main baddie and Bond. You want to see them have these like, you know, interactions throughout the movie that lead to the big climax. And they really barely interacted with each other, uh, Rami Malek and uh, and Daniel Craig. Yeah. So first of all, it was heavily rumored, especially on the Internet. Everybody assumed this is the only spoiler I'm going to give up. Everybody assumed that at some point there was going to be the reveal that Rami Malek's villain was actually playing Dr. No. And that never came. And I got to say, didn't need it in the movie, but everybody was so sure of it, including myself, a little disappointed. And between the Dr. No dot pattern from the opening credits, he was a villain on an island. He was very neat and tidy. He was like, it was everything about him was Dr. No except name. 
And I think that's what I wasn't putting it very clearly. I, I wish I had rephrased my thoughts when I was saying that I felt like this movie had a lot of time to just sit because of the pandemic and maybe had some reworking done. And I felt like the create the creators were very steeped in their own thinking about it, that they kind of forgot what it's like to be an outsider looking at the movie. And I think maybe in their mind, they thought they had fleshed out this this character and they really had put in all the references so that you it was very clear this is Dr. No it was all going to pay off in in the end but um but I don't know I was kind of confused so uh, let's really talk about Rami Malek right now and we're in a little sidetrack but I I just want to say it I said this to you when we walked out of the theater and we didn't want to get into it too much because we wanted to save it for the for the show are we sure Rami Malek is a good actor <laughs> and I don't mean he's a bad actor but like I thought he was really good in Short Term 12. Mm -hmm. And I heard he's really good in Mr. Robot, which I've never watched because I, I spend most of my time watching movies, not not TV shows. And maybe one day I'll get around to it. When he won the, I haven't seen Bohemian Rhapsody, but when he won the Oscar, I went and just pulled up like a bunch of the scenes he's in on YouTube. I just watched the scenes he was in, like most of them. I seemed fine. Mm -hmm. He's He wasn't good in the little things. And that wasn't a good movie, but... It, that was part of it was he was completely miscast. Mm. He, he wasn't believable and he's not good in this movie. Mm. So Rami, I think you need to make a good choice for your next movie, dude, because I'm yeah. starting to question how good of an actor you actually are. He could have the, um, is it Adrian Brody curse of winning the Oscar? And then everyone kind of well, being like, word on the street really is word on the street is Adrian Brody was a difficult human being. And that's, that's, that's the problem. Uh. The only person keeping his career alive is Wes Anderson, but we're digressing. <laughs> um, yeah, Rami Malek, not not great in this movie. I, I didn't care about him I, at all. And I think they really wanted us to care about him. It was like in trailers, you know, they would save his moments for like the very end of the trailer right. to get you all s stoked. And but Blofeld yeah. comes back and he's way better. Mm -hmm. So yeah, yeah, it was uh, I. I guess we should also mention that it was a big deal that uh, there was a new 007 in this film, but there we get into uh, this now. Uh, sure, okay. yeah. Your thoughts, please. Um, I just feel like I'm like they did. Her name is Lash Lashana Lynch. Lashana Lynch. She looked great. She really looked the part. I'm like, okay, this is this is a woman who. I would not want to mess with. She truly came across as a, an, a, 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 a she filled the shoes of an agent. Um, uh, but I thought that I just felt that the her being so petty, her character being so petty about the like rubbing it in Bond's face that she's the new 007. It just it didn't really work for me. I thought they they built this up in the in the lead up to the film that there was this new 007 played by a woman and then I just kind of felt like it just sort of they just kind of dropped dropped the ball and eventually in the end it was all for nothing because she ends up giving the 007 title back to Bond so it's like what was the point of all this like yeah I, back I and just... forth that was all for sort of nothing I felt like why did we even have to have her in a 007 role she could have just she wasn't been in, needed she could have just been an awesome agent like Micah yeah. told me he did love seeing Bond work alongside her as they entered the the poison island together he thought it was great to see Bond working with another skilled agent 
to go in and tackle some of these. Like that was kind of new to me. So, I really liked that too, but I don't think she needed to be called 007. I, I, look, I thought it was, uh, yeah. She was not needed. Most of the scenes she was in, she was completely superfluous. I, I don't She didn't, she added almost nothing to this movie. Uh, that's not her fault. No, I think it, they were just trying to shoehorn this unnecessary character. And I know they were trying to test it to see, can the new franchise be this, this woman to play the new 007? I thought in the Cuba scene, it was believable. When she busts through the ceiling, grabs the guy, she's shooting in the balcony. I was like, all right, I have this I'm in. It's funny you bring up the island part because that's when I was all out on it. I was oh, like, okay. I'm not buying this at all. Mm. I'm not buying her as some badass secret agent with him. I'm just, I'm just not. And I don't know if that's direction. I don't know if maybe it's just she's not the right part, but I, I, I don't know. They were testing it out to see if they could do it. Daniel Craig took the words right out of my mouth and he said, instead of ham-fisting a woman into the James Bond role, I would rather just see new roles for women. I agree. We need more Charlie Sterons and Mad Max and less female Ghostbusters. Like, that's what we need to see. Lashana Lynch, I've never seen her in anything else, I don't think. She might be a perfectly good actress. I just, this character was so superfluous to this film. If she wasn't in it, nothing would change. Yeah. I I, I think that, uh, unfortunately... They just, I don't know. They just dropped the ball with her with her role, and it is not the actress's fault. I don't think. Yeah. I think she she did what she could. Um, yeah. But well, let's move on to someone we love, Ana de Armas. Oh my God, one yeah, of the best parts of the movie. There's someone that you can tell that they were like, we this this we have her for whatever amount of time, probably pretty limited, cramming her. And she's a very busy woman. She's got a lot of projects, a lot of irons in the fire. Mm -hmm. And um, they made it, they made it count. What, what little screen time she has is incredibly memorable. Reuniting with Craig after Knives Out. I forgot about that. He's so, he's, I kind of forget he's in that movie. Maybe it's the accent. Um, No, they, she is just, I, I, I'm like, what a relatable quote-unquote bond girl when you think of someone i'm like she was bringing this she was just this little cutie pie that was so believably transitioned into a total badass yes sexy bombshell at the same time that i felt i was like i i've never really seen a bond woman uh, a woman in a bond film quite like her and uh she did great I don't think we've ever seen her be silly or funny in anything. And she pulls it off talking about, I've had three weeks training and Mm -hmm. she's clearly very nervous. But then when it was time to kick people in the face and shoot guns, she pulled it off. She was great. We haven't seen her do either one of those things. And she's starting to show how versatile she can be. She is going to be around for a while, I think. Yeah. She's she's doing, she's good in everything she's been in so far on top of being stunning. I think, yeah, we should believe the hype around her and and look out for what's, What's up next for Ana de Armas? Well, and I would say that Cuba scene in general was maybe the best scene in the movie. Mm-hmm. Like front, like top to bottom. Yes. Really well done. There was a shocking moment. There was a lot of stuff going on. Great, great scene. Mm-hmm. Probably best scene in the movie with a lot of really great scenes. Yeah. And a, a shout out to um, Billy Magnuson, who was playing a um, CIA agent working with Felix. Um, and he he's someone who I recognize from Ingrid Goes West, which we have talked about on this podcast. But he plays a great blonde, smarmy guy. And uh, I enjoyed 
what screen time he also had in this movie. Yeah, he did. He did like what he was asked of him. He did a good job. Last scene I really want to get into, because again, I don't want to give too much of this movie away. I want people to go see it. When Bond is on the island at the end of the movie and it's time for the climax, just a great one tracking shot of him going up the staircase and fighting off a group of henchmen. It's it's a single shot. It's phenomenal. Mm. So well done and closes off, like I was saying, with a little ode to Bond where you're not looking down the barrel, but he just quick turns and shoots at the camera. Yeah. And it's so clearly supposed to be that signature Bond. Mm-hmm. That was a little something for the fans. Totally. Yeah. So overall, I think we both really liked it. Yes. It was a fun time at the movies. It was really fun to be in a around other people and hearing audience reactions to things. Made, made me just, yeah, remember why I love going to see see movies in the theater seemed like there was a lot of people there it was opening night well, we didn't go thursday we went friday but you know especially with they they've been worried that the younger generation didn't care about bond i think craig revived that i'm excited to see what they do next you know there's some people in in talks i don't know if anybody's really jumping out to me uh richard madden played uh rob stark mm-hmm. i after seeing the bodyguard show i think he could do it Good looking guy. He's young. Yeah. He's about to be in a Marvel movie. Um, but I kind of want them to do what they did with Craig, a relatively unknown. So he really just gets sucked into that. It. Yeah. There's an actor. I never watched Bridgerton, but I know it was quite a phenomenon on Netflix. And the star of that show, Reggae Jean Page, um, a lot of people are um, are talking about him possibly being up for the the role of the next i have heard that of course they said tom hardy which i just love tom hardy i i don't know if i see him as bond no i'd Um, like to see him as a villain oh i definitely would love to see him as a villain yeah 100 percent. yeah it's a shame you know when there was talks of it being idris elba i was all in he's he's on the older side now i don't think they're gonna go that route but super charming super good looking Mm -hmm. english suave been in other action stuff. I think it would have been perfect. Just the timing with him and Craig, it just didn't work out. Yeah. I think I've also mentioned, I think I'm the only person that feels this way. But when you hear Daniel Kaluuya speak with his British accent, um, and he's kind of had a bit of a glow up, I would say, too, in the last couple of years. I'm like, oh, you are quite sexy. I think he could, I think he could make a great bond. But uh, I, I may be alone in off thinking the, that. Off but. the top of my head, I don't see it, but he's such a good freaking actor mm-hmm. that who knows? Yeah. Who knows? Um, so I love the Craig series. If you if you really enjoyed the Craig series, definitely go see No Time to Die in theaters to wrap it all up. If, you know, if you just want to see a fun action movie, go see it. But if you haven't watched the Craig movies, some of it might be lost on you. But really great into the series. Yeah. There we go. Yes. So we're at the recommendation part. Typically, we only recommend a movie we've seen lately, but we're going to stay on theme here. There's so many goddamn James Bond movies. I think that we both wanted to pick one that maybe you like some of them, but kind of like James Bond or maybe you're a fan and haven't seen them all. We're going we're gonna to give one to, to recommend for you to watch. We're going to forego the number system and just say, if you like James Bond movies, this is one you need to check out. Chelsea, you want to go first? Sure. And um, I I 
do admit that this is a bit of a silly choice, but I, 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 I'm coming at it with, uh, I'm with a lot of sincerity that I really do think this is worth watching. Um, and you did mention it briefly, but I really love this movie. I love A View to a Kill, the Roger Moore, James Bond film that came out in 1985. It uh, is starring Christopher Walken and uh, Grace Jones also has uh, a role in in the film. Dolph Lundgren. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, it is, this movie came on my radar because of how did the podcast, how did this get made? I was in stitches as they were talking about it. I've listened to that's a really funny episode. Yeah. I had never seen the movie, but the way they were talking about it had me laughing so hard that I was like, okay, I have to seek this out. I, I think this is the one you said that Roger Moore realized, okay, oh, my love interest is younger than my daughter and I'm, I am aging out of this character and he he certainly is but he still um has a real uh, for as silly as the movie is his uh his debonair suave ways are very believable at the same time but the 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 thing from of uh, uh how did this get made that made me laugh so hard i remember the time was when they were laughing at the character the alias that james bond comes up with at one point in the movie his name is sinjin smythe and uh, I was like, what a strange name to have come up with, Sinjin Smythe. And the more they repeated it, the more I was laughing. But uh, it, I think there uh, is some great uh, villainy on Christopher Walken's part in, in the movie. A lot of horse, a lot of equestrian stuff, too. Butterflies, uh, Paris, the hot air balloons. I think this this movie is definite '80s madness. Uh, it it's it's over the top, but it's totally worth a watch, and I think you'll have a lot of fun with it. So that's where I'm leaving it. Yeah, that's one I haven't seen, but is uh, one of the ones widely considered to be maybe the worst Bond film. Uh, but again, I haven't seen it. I love Christopher Walken, so. And for, if it's called one of the worst, I mean, you got to see it to you really know. Okay, is this really the worst? So sure. uh, all the more reason to go and see it. Yeah, I mean, what are we doing? We're gonna see which Bond movie is more kitschy than the other. Whatever. <laughs> uh, so okay, my recommendation is one that if you're a big James Bond fan, probably wouldn't surprise you and bring this one up. On a cult level, it was believed to be the best Bond film prior to the Craig movies. I mean, I'm. Take that for what it's worth. On a, like I said, on a cult level, uh, but I'm going to do the one film George Lazenby did on Her Majesty's Secret Service. Mm. So Sean Connery steps away and walks George Lazenby, this this six foot two model uh, that they just thought, well, you just look like Bond. Well, he wasn't an actor, and so with that being said, he's he's not very good. <laughs> <laughs> he only did one Bond film, and I don't think he did much acting after that. He's not terrible. But his line delivery, it's, it's just, especially like the Bond one-liners, he almost says them as if he's saying a commercial tagline. Uh, it's just not not great. He seems a little uncomfortable with the guns. There's a great scene where they're fighting on a mountain in like Germany and it's iced over and he just slides down his stomach while shooting a, <laughs> shooting a machine gun at <laughs> villains. But the movie is outstanding. It is one of the first Bond movies to humanize Bond. Uh, bring him out on a, on a on a human level and actually a, re- a very significant relationship with a woman. I don't want to tell you how this movie ends, even though it came out in 1969. 
because if you do like Bond films and you haven't seen it, this is this is an excellent story with an excellent, excellent ahead of its time ending. Mm. Great uh, portrayal of Blofeld by Telly Savalas. He's an awesome actor. He's one of the three or four actors to play Blofeld. Um, but I don't know. I, it's hard for me to tell you why this movie is so good without telling you how it ends. You just really need to see it. And also with the risk of spoiling things, there's a lot of tie-ins to this movie with No Time to Die. The film closed. So Louis Armstrong wrote the song, We Have All the Time in the World for On Her Majesty's Secret Service. They play that song oh. in the credits of No Time to Die. And the phrase Bond says in On Her Majesty's Secret Service, We Have All the Time in the World, is a very important line in that film. He says a few times. Bond says it in No Time to Die as well. For it, It's definitely a tie back to that movie. Mm. It's definitely a great, if you love the Bond films, front to back, it's such a cool way they tie them together. Seriously, Honor Magic Secret Service, if you like the Bond films, I cannot recommend it enough. Yeah, and I do think that movie should be shouted out more because I don't think it, it is, um, people even remember it because it's George Lazenby and he was only in one film. Right. Well, I remember when that box set came out and mm -hmm. it had all the Bonds lined up in the advertising. Like, who is that guy? Who is that rando? Uh, also, awesome bobsled chase scene. Uh, so yeah. ahead of its time. It's really exciting bobsled. Yeah, Honor Magic Secret Service. Check it out. So that's going to wrap this episode up. We're probably going to, I think we're going to do one more in October and with Halloween coming yeah. up, we're going to do a spooky, scary movie episode. We don't really know what that's going to look like yet, but definitely like I've been watching scary movies. I don't know if you I have, have to. Yes. So yeah. let's talk about scary movies and stay on theme. Uh, so we'll have that out for you soon. Uh, but uh, hope you enjoyed this episode. Please check us out on Twitter at the marquee spot LT. Uh, check us out on Instagram at the marquee spotlight and is there anything else oh the email the marquee spotlight at gmail.com and i hate doing this but i guess we have to ask if you're enjoying the show like yes share please. tell a friend i don't want to bug you you're an adult make your own choices but i'd appreciate it share with your friends thank you so much uh so that's going to do it for this episode so for the marquee spotlight i'm spencer bailey i'm chelsea burnett we'll see you out. Thank you for listening. The Marquee Spotlight is recorded in Portland, Oregon. Music composed and produced by Josh Colopy and cover art created by Taylor Engel. Check us out on Twitter for updates regarding new episodes and listen to episodes anywhere podcasts are found.